knows? Me, me and Dan are stretching right now, getting into podcast mode. You got to stretch. You know, that's one thing you learn in your 30s. You got to stretch. I know that full well because I slept funny on my neck last night. And my neck has been really bad. Like the top of my, like at my shoulders. It's been rough today. Dangling neck Dan here to say. Yes, that's me. <laughs> Dangling <laughs> Dan. And uh, gentleman Joey here to say, ow, my back. I don't know. Yeah. Ow, we're getting old. <laughs> Boy, howdy, huh? I, I tell you what, it, it, that seems to be the case. But having fun in the meantime, how you doing, Dan? I mean, I, things are good on my end. Doing all right. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I've been saving this because I, I, you know, we've talked a little bit during the week, but I, I've been saving this story because I decide, I finally decided that I was going to sit down and actually watch all three Godfather movies in their entirety for the first time. Wow. I've never actually watched them completely. Like, I've seen parts of them, like on TV and other stuff. But yeah. I've, never, I've never actually, like, gone the distance and said, you know what, I'm going to watch all of them in a row, you know. Now, for this third one, did you watch the original or did you watch this new Francis Ford Coppola cut that he made during the pandemic? So, no. So, I got – so, actually, my dad is a huge fan, and he's been trying to get me to watch it for years. And I guess it was for his birthday. I got – it's a relatively recent Blu-ray box set with all three of them. I've been watching it through the boxes, so it's pre Would you say up until this point that that was your father's biggest disappointment in you? It could be, honestly. I feel like he's, I mean, I, I'm not saying like that I'm, I'm like the golden child or anything, but you know, I, I feel like he's mostly been supportive of me and, and thinking that I've been doing okay, but yeah. But there was always something missing in the relationship between you, and now you finally have decided to fill that hole and mend your relationship. Yes, exactly. And, and I feel like it was just time. I, I feel like... And I, did you I, marathon these suckers? No. So it's been... It was this weekend. So I, I watched the first one yesterday. And then I watched the second one today. I'm sorry. One more, more, one more interruption. Are these solo endeavors? Or are you watching them with your dad? No, I'm watching them solo. Okay. My dad would probably be asleep. Might be for the best. Might be for the best. Yeah. Because, you know, there might be expectations next to you. And you just want to enjoy it as a film. Exactly. I want to be in the zone... And, and focused on it. Yeah, Absolutely. so the second one I watched today, and then the third one, I'll see if I, I mean, we are doing a night episode tonight, I will mention it. Oh, so you have not done the third one yet? No, so that's the one I haven't gotten to yet. So that's the God, last one. This, this is an incomplete conversation. I can't believe you even stepping up to the plate with this just yet, sir. Well, I, I'm stepping up to it because I But wanted... I guess you're just, you've just watched Godfather 2, which if you're like, you know, everybody else, you're like, oh my God, this movie was, what a sequel. They raised the stakes even more, they right. say. But- what does Dan say? Exactly. So I wanted to do that purposefully because I wanted to show you at what I've read as a potential probable high of, yes. of it. And then I, everything I hear is that the third one is pretty awful. So This is how I'm coming to you, Dan. Yeah. You could stop now mm-hmm. and leave happy. You could walk away uh-huh. with your winnings so far and leave happy, or you could risk it all for the million dollars. It's tough. I know you're a fan as, as I am, as a lot of us are of some pretty shitty, trashy movies. You know, there's some And awful some sequels, in yes, in particular. In that regard, I might almost recommend just waiting a while. Okay. Letting it sit, let the enjoyment of those first two masterpieces just sit with you, you know, maybe a week or so. I'm not saying it has to be forever. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, hey, maybe even Friday before we record the next episode, or who knows, maybe it'll be another night episode again. You know, you could squeeze it in right before. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's some peaks reached. And it, yes. well, you, know, you, almost, just, you almost have to wait as long as uh, when's the, the second one made? Is that in the 70s? So the first one's 72, the second oh, one's they both are. 74. 
okay. and then the third so, yeah. one's 90. So that 90, was the big yeah. gap. Yeah. So you almost need to wait like a week's equivalent of how long that gap is <laughs> before <laughs> you get there. And then just be like, oh yeah, The Godfather. And just be like, okay, wow. wow. Yeah, I, I'm, I've been a little bit iffy about it. I mean, I, I, can, I can power through it. Like I said, I, I think I just felt bad of like, as much as I'm a, I'm a film lover and I know, and I do like a lot of the stuff that's in those movies, I just feel bad. I'm like, it took me so long to finally actually sit down and do this. Like, I feel like it, yeah. I, I should have done I this earlier. I think that's the case with a lot of us though. It's almost yeah. like a Citizen Kane situation. Where, right, like, which I still haven't seen. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Boy, yeah. So that'll yeah, be a bonus episode of the podcast, I will say. We're going to get a Citizen Kane. Mostly because I'm, I'm, I want to watch it again. It's a good time. Yeah, it, it takes a minute to get to it because I mean it's so referenced and beloved, and yes, it's it's the gold standard of uh, mobster storytelling. Yes, great and, cast. Uh, yeah, got James Con in his prime. James Con killing it. Yeah, yeah, I love love James Con. He's amazing in it, and and Brando does a good job too. I mean, he, it's, great. it's well regarded, and oh my god, Pacino when he's Pacino. hungry, he's amazing performance. Yeah. No, it's a good time. And that second one, you got De Niro. He's he's really amazing in it. He's yeah. hungry as well. Great times. Yeah, not a lot of really Oscar-worthy performances in that third one, but <laughs> you'll get there. Good luck, sir. Thank you. Whatever you choose, I, I've given you my guidance as someone who has uh, been in the lurches of that thing, who's taken the hit for you. Yes. And I'll say, you know, just be careful. Don't well, get hurt. Don't worry. I'll, I'll never go against the family or anything like that. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> does your dad like the third one? He does. He, I, when I was asking him about it, he says that's the one he remembers the least, and I, I think I understand why. He probably watched it the least amount of times because he always liked the first. I'm sure people watch one. it just, just once. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe a second time to realize why you're supposed to watch it just once. I think he probably only watched it once. I think he said he watched it like when it came out, and then probably hasn't seen it since. So I got him the set. So you know, it might be fun is you do this third one. You know, go go about with your business. And then maybe the two you watch this recut of the third one together. Let's see how that goes. Yeah, I wanted to leave it. I wanted to put it out there now, so it leaves a little bit of a cliffhanger for the next episode, so I can give you a progress report. So this, this is was, a progress report. You're gonna come in saying it sucked. I mean, spoiler. how do you know that? <laughs> I might, I might, I might enjoy it. Damn. No. Hey, man. If if I can rep Caddyshack gonna... two. <laughs> you know, I can I could potentially rep Godfather three. I, wanna, I have not I wanna... seen Caddyshack two. Yeah. Still, I'm sorry. It'll happen. Uh, R.I.P. Jackie Mason. Yeah, it's better than Godfather Three. I can say that <laughs> without a doubt. You, there's going to be some laughs. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, this is where you get the line where you're waiting for it in those first two, and you're like, "Oh wait, he doesn't even say that in this." You thought he'd say it in like the second yes. one, but they don't even pull him back in until that third one. Yeah, and once you get to that point, it, it's like, "Ooh, phew, finally!" But finally, I think I remember it coming in pretty early. Okay, I don't know. Good luck. Trust me, I've been, wa- I've been waiting. For- I know it was coming and I'm waiting for it. So, And this is way more real estate than I expected to give to Godfather 3. This episode is already off the rails. Welcome to the show. Yes. That's fun. Anything else? No, that's about it. Yeah, I, I wanted to throw that in there. I knew that was going to be a little bit of a, of, a, of a wrench. So, Get it out of the way, right? I wanted to get it out of the way, but I am very much looking forward to this episode, as we've mentioned previously. So... If you're ready, if you don't have anything, I'm I'm ready to dive. Oh, into I have this. stuff. I can't believe you're looking to steamroll right through me. I'm, oh, okay. Yeah, no, I'm, I got I'm stuff, Dan. I want to I want to give a shout out to a movie I watched this week on Tuesday. Okay. I told you about this, The Bedroom Window with Steve Gutenberg. Oh yes, yes, yes. 
that was a, a really fun time. I it, it, he was perfectly cast in that role. Like it, it's just it, it demands a Gutenberg, and you get a Gutenberg, and it's a lot of fun. So such an under under underappreciated, but just like not well known. Like it just I, yeah. I didn't know it very well. But as far as like a neo noir goes, like it's great. And that was exactly it. It was in Criterion's neo noir section they have at the moment. And oh, it is okay, cool. Because I got it on Kino. I have the the Blu Ray up. Yeah, I remember that Blu Ray came out this year, I believe. Right? It was fairly recent. Maybe it was last, last year. year. Yeah, yeah. In the last year or so. Yeah, it was like a. I think it was like a, a sale buy. Like I, I'd read about it. I was like, oh, this seems pretty cool. I'll just I'll just throw this in with the pile and watched it. And I was like, wow, like this was like pretty surprising. Like it was a good time. I was glad I put it on as soon as it once it got cooking, which was pretty immediately. It, it was a really good time. That was the director of L.A. Confidential. Yes. And also, uh, Eight Mile. What'd you think of the uh, the great cameo in the courtroom scene? Do you remember? Was, Give me was, a hint. I don't... It, it was Phil Harmon, right? Wasn't it? I thought no. it was. It oh, was... yes. No, I but yes. And also, there's like someone else I was surprised to see in there. I'm pretty sure it was him. It's been a while since I watched it, but I'll, I will double check. I do believe you're correct. Yes. Uh, other than that, I, I went to the drive-in this weekend. I saw a double feature of the, as of now, newly released Suicide Squad. And, oh, wait, uh, I'm sorry. Real quick. It was actually Wallace Shawn. That's who it was. Wallace Shawn. But, but, but that's e- what I was equally, for. if not more exciting. Totally. No, it, it, that's who I was thinking of. And yes. I, got I knew it was somebody like well-known. Yeah. yeah, he was great in it for his, his brief brief moment. Because I saw his name in the credits, and I'm like, when's Wallace Shawn coming in? Yes. And then as soon as we got to the courtroom, I'm like, this is a, I bet he's here, and it's going to be perfect. And he was exactly who he needed to be. Loved great it. scene. Great scene, Loved too. It. Oh, yeah. He tore that, that case apart. Great yeah. lawyer. Hell of a lawyer. Shout out to Wallace Shawn. Great actor. Um, yeah, anyway, so I'm driving. Suicide Squad. It was fun. Fun time. And uh, Green Knight. Saw the Green Knight. That was the oh, second how feature. Was that? That, that one I've been looking forward to seeing. Yeah, I was too, and uh, I didn't. I, I didn't love it. Okay. I think I would enjoy that one at home. I don't know if it's a theater experience. Okay. Which drive you know, did they, you go to? The Delcy. Oh, Delcy Drive. Cool. cool Shout spot. out to Delcy Drive, and yeah, had a good time. But yeah, it was. It, you know, A twenty four. It's a roll of the dice. They're either going to be like super amazing, or just like not too good, but some really cool visuals. Yeah. <laughs> and like neat ideas at the end of the day. That was basically this, but just for yourself. Cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Green Knight, I, I, that was definitely my mindset. I was like, maybe not something I see in the theater, but something I definitely want to watch when it comes out. I, it's definitely on my radar. I mean, that was going to be the case for me, I think. And then it just turned out like, oh, this will be a, a second feature. And I wanted to see Suicide Squad on some sort of big screen. So, uh, yeah. yeah, quite a quite a it. double feature. It wasn't, but it was like, you know what? This double feature actually speaks to me. <laughs> yeah, and, the dichotomy so, of Joey. Truly. So I was I was happy to see it. That said, I, I, I regretted it. The picture on this particular screen was so dark. <laughs> it, oh. was, it was a little, a little tough to enjoy fully. Yeah. So that, that I also wonder if that hindered my enjoyment of Green Knight. Potentially. I think, it, you know, maybe not. <laughs> but if you disagree with me, that's the card I'm going to pull. Other than that, Dan, we should, pr- we should promote the new album. It's announced by this point. We've already, we should have announced it back in the big August, but. Yeah. It's I never guess too actually, late. It was for the best because we just locked down the release date. It's too late for tears, but it's not too late to promote the album. I, I can't wait to hear the compilation of how many times you make that joke. <laughs> it just gained me right now. I just, it just. No, it's just come to you before. There's at least one more episode, I believe. Have I used that before? I. It feels familiar. I don't know. Maybe. I'll have to go back through the archives. Good um, luck. Yes. <laughs> those archives are getting bigger and bigger. I was gonna say we're at we're at episode thirty-five now, so. 35 still alive yep 
<laughs> we might make it to a full year, this bad boy. We're getting there. So anyways, yeah, you want to talk about this album real quick? Sure. So I have a new album from my project, The Only Guest in Town. Would you call this a quarantine album? I would. I, uh, I recorded this all on my own. First time I've ever done that completely. I did it on my phone. The entire record was recorded on my Is iPhone. It, was it in that room that I'm looking at right now? Is that the studio? I would say about 75% of it was recorded here. I recorded some in, in my basement and a couple other spots, but by and large, most of the tracking was done in my room, yes. What took you to the basement? The acoustics down there for something specific? The, dr- the drums. Drums. I, I had, like the minimal drum equipment I had was down there. So I just, it was already kind of set up. So the, the percussion, I was done then down there, but everything else was done upstairs. And I did some guitars downstairs too, because I had some other amps set up. I call this album a, a real 180 from the previous albums. Good jumping on point. Yeah, it's, it's different. It's very different. Um, just broke off 10 years of the project and here's a fresh round. Yeah, right? the, last year was 10 years? It was 10 years in, so I started in 2009. Oh, yeah, so, no, no. So, so 2019, because 2019. that's when it was recorded. Tape came out in 2020. Correct. Gotcha. Exactly. So this is year 12. Yes, year 12. Of the all project. right. And, uh, yeah, very minimal. Like I said, it's, it's all, all my own. Uh, just doing it on my phone. Just just a different vibe. Uh, a lot of improvisation, which I don't Do you have any influences do for this one? I'd say the biggest influences were probably a mix of, like, Spaceman 3, Velvet Underground, A.R. Kane, and Talk Talk, I think would be the, the, the stuff I was probably – digging the most at the time that really influenced it and really i think uh influenced the record i think it really just the outcome of it and the approach that i took um so a little mix of some 80s stuff a little bit of a mix of some 60s vibe but yeah no, i i i like where it where it ended up i'm excited for it i'm excited for the tape to come in but the album's called pure bliss mm-hmm. very cool title some great give paintings give you some by, props for that and it's got yeah some very title appropriate paintings i would say yep my friend brandon did those and then uh, of course our, our very good friend brian meets did the layout um yep. as he does for pretty much everything i've ever done <laughs> for any of my my bands i've been in um, yeah it's probably everything just about just about yeah just almost everything a couple couple early on in towns and a couple early by surprise stuff where we did on our own but everything else he, he did you you learned your lesson after that yeah, and I think Rob and by surprise didn't have Photoshop anymore too. So I think that that had, that had part of it too. But yeah, Brian does excellent work, so uh, we might as well just let let it be done by a professional. That's true. He always has Photoshop. That's true. But he is also an excellent designer, so I, I appreciate his work. He's got a good eye. Brings for it, sure. Brings it together nicely with his his aesthetic. I would say exactly. Like I'll just give him a bunch of stuff that I'm like, hey, like this is what I'm looking for. My vibe. It's a lot of random stuff that I like and then he'll tie it all together and it's even better than I could have imagined it. So he has an act to do that. First single out now inside my head. Yep. So look out for that on your streaming services. Probably where you listen to this thing. Maybe, maybe just follow Dan's name. A little, little chaser to the, the podcast. When you're done listening, you could check it out. I would say that uh, inside my head could fit in today's movie. Kiss me deadly. Good. Yeah. Good work. Why not? Give it a shot. I think Ralph Meeker would have, would have dug it. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know, man. I don't know if I could ever get a read on Ralph Meeker. Yeah, that's true. He's a... He's, he's quite, an quite, a, quite, a, quite an enigma, yes. He's a true enigma, yes. Absolutely. Uh, that sounds like we are ready to talk about this movie. Yes. This wild this, movie. This is a, a wild ride. This is... Uh, 
This is 106 minutes of insanity. Yes. Kiss Me Deadly, based on the novel of the same name that was written by Mickey Spillane from 1952. Mickey Spillane, he's uh, quite a character. Mm. We'll we'll get into him as we go on. Uh, Directed by Robert Aldrich, Mm. released May 18th, 1955 by United Artists, and a screenplay by AI. (laughs) You got this one, Dan? I think it's Bezzetti's, is it? Is that who who it was? That sounds good. I've got I've got bedroom windows still open. Give me a second. Fair enough. <laughs> I think it's is it either Bezerides or or Bezerides. Bez, yeah, Bezerides sounds good. Bezerides, Bezerides. We'll go Bezerides. I, I, I do feel bad though because watching his special feature, he seemed like a quite an angry guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I feel, I feel bad pissing him off, but hey, we're just keeping up the good work that the world did to him. I've only watched the uh, the the feature with Alex Cox, which is pretty funny. That's funny. Yeah, that's that's good. I watched them all. They're good. Yeah. There's some good features on this one. Mm-hmm. Boy, this is it's a good time. <laughs> I, I I had I had this kind of moment when I was watching it. I had, I had two main things. One is this movie. It's it is obviously it's it's grounded in the fifties and that and and it has that kind of atomic age vibe to it. But it almost seems to exist on its own plane in some weird way. Like it just it has such a weird. Uh, it's otherworldly. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very otherworldly. Exactly. Yep. And two, I it's 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 one of those movies that you, so certain movies you have that you're watching in the middle of it and you have this moment like, I can't wait to watch this again. And you're still oh, in yeah. the, mo- the movie and you're like, wow, this is so cool. I can't wait to, I want to rewatch this already. And I've already I mean, more they, halfway in. This thing kicks just right off the bat and yes. you're just in on it. I mean, you get Cloris yeah. Leachman, her debut role, and she just makes the most of it. Yeah. She's just running down the middle of the street in nothing but a trench coat and just like screaming and trying to flag down a car. Nobody's coming until she just runs in front of one who happens to be driven by Mike Hammer. Played what by an amazing name. <laughs> yes. The Hammer. Uh, and there are some huge differences of the character and the novel than when we get to this movie. I mean, Yes. He doesn't carry a gun, which he was very famous for. He carried a forty-five. That was a big deal to have back then uh, that he, for him to be carrying something Mickey Spillane was very passionate about. Yes. This is a case where, like, you know, you can almost compare it to The Shining with Stephen King's experience. Like, mm-hmm. Mickey Spillane hated this adaptation. I mean, it's very different. I mean, it's the, very the different. And that's a was, tough... Yeah, completely That's something different. I wanted to ask you about. I was like, can you think of anything offhand where, like, it's an adaptation and it's so different, yet you, you still like it? Solaris, the Tarkovsky yeah. Solaris, yeah, because because the Stanislaw Lem, the guy that wrote that book, hated Tarkovsky's version because it was very different. Because the book was more about like environmentalism, and oh, the movie, sure. and the movie was just straight up more like about the like psychological and emotional, you know, experiences and stuff like that, you know, between the characters. So um, yes, very different. But that movie, the the original movie, is like one of my favorite movies of all time. So good, yeah. How about you? Essential viewing. Um, I would say the only thing that comes to mind immediately right now would be like adaptation that Charlie okay. Kaufman wrote. Have you mm-hmm. seen that one? I have not. No. Okay. I, it's like it was. They bought the rights to uh, this Orchid Thief, I believe, is the name of the novel, and okay. it's just like the whole thing is just about him basically writing the screenplay for the Orchid Thief. Wow. And like it was just so good that the author. It's actually opposite situation where the author didn't hate it, but they were just like. It's it's so good. We I I just have to let you do this thing that's not even close to an adaptation. Yeah, they're just like, okay, that's cool. It's different, but it's cool. No, and like the author is like even like a character in the movie played by Meryl Streep and stuff. It's wow, it's a wild. Interesting. 
it is very yeah i didn't know much about it and stayed away from it for many years but i was like i like charlie kaufman it's just spike jones i don't really like and Mm. i powered through it and you're mostly able to ignore the spike jonesiness of it all (laughs) great music videos i will say yeah maybe love those it's just the features that never really translated for me yeah that's fair but yeah, so she gets in the car and you get these credits going and it's in reverse going yes. from top to bottom. And yeah. I would put that in the, the best credit sequences of all time when it comes to these things. It's, yeah, it's you, so it's exciting. It's just for screaming too. <laughs> yeah, and just like, yeah. Crying, yeah. Crying, exactly, yeah. It, it's it's a very memorable sequence. And, and like I said, this thing just kicks right off. Yes. We get through that and she just keeps looking back and she's headed to Los Angeles and she's very afraid for some reason. They get to like a roadblock where the police are. And it turns out that a woman escaped from an asylum nearby. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that's our friend Christina Bailey. That's who Cloris Leachman plays here. Yes. It was fun. It's always fun to see Cloris Leachman, especially because I feel like our generation really experienced her mostly as an older actor. Yes. yes. So you're like, oh, wow. Very different. Yeah. Great on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Mm-hmm. The other time I experienced something similar to that, but yeah, shout out to Cloris Leachman. Yeah, she 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 finally died, didn't she? I don't mean finally, but I know she yes. was she was with us for quite a bit. Yes, I believe she did. Let I me... believe we we did lose her. Yeah, actually, this year it was January of this year. Yeah, I was I gonna say it recent. felt very yeah. recent. Yeah, sorry we didn't get to this before we could interview her or something. Yeah. So Mike, he plays it cool. He tells the officer, you know, hey, my wife's just asleep. I put my trench coat over on top of her and then we get to a a service station. She goes to use the bathroom and and says, Hey, to the mechanic that's there, could you mail this letter for me, which we'll find out about later. Mm -hmm. And then we're back on the road as we're headed to this bus stop to Los Angeles. Cloris Leachman tells Mike, we don't make that bus stop. We will. We don't. Me. That's not going to come back at all, though. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, we got a large black Cadillac pulls out in front of the road, and uh, these men get out, and this is where we hear screaming. You see her legs just kicking around, and we cut to somewhere <laughs> in yeah. some dark and mysterious noir uh, location, and Christina's just being tortured. You see a pair of pliers discreetly off camera. It's very, and, uh, very like menacing and horrifying, but you don't really absolutely. see much. But that's part of it. It's like it's like what you don't see. That, Your I mean, imagination, that's how they get, right? And that's how they get away with it. And it's it's a perfect device. And Mike's unconscious. He's on a, a spring mattress, a yeah. like a bare metal bed. And when he wakes up, he finds out that she is dead. And they put him and her dead body in the car, and they push it over a cliff. Yes. And they, they think, hey, this this is my camera problem. We're set here. No consequences. Way to go, guys. Yep. Cadillac pulls away. Then we wake up in a hospital. Mike, the hammer, hammer's on, right? Yep. He's the hammer. <laughs> I mean, we'll get into it, but there's been a lot of Mike Hammer performances, mm-hmm. including Mickey Spillane himself. Yeah. Which is insane to me. <laughs> but I guess if you write the character, you can do it if you want, I guess. And just that level of author fame where you can make your way into movies. He was in another movie too before that, where they're like, okay, clearly he can act enough to, to do this. But yeah, I don't know. It's just fascinating, especially where you're like, okay, I know how to play my character. I'll do it. I'll do yeah. it myself. I wrote it. So I'm going to do it. I mean, heck, 
Roll the dice, Mickey Spillane. You've earned it. Yeah, why not? So yeah, we're in the hospital room, and Mike is discharged from there, and this is where he meets up with Velda. We mm-hmm. meet Velda, who is very important. Basically like his personal, quote-unquote, secretary. <laughs> <laughs> Played by Maxine Cooper. Yes. So he's very sweaty yes. in all of her scenes. Like his personal secretary, but like he also like has her just go to deal with these men. So like, because their business is like, he's a, I wouldn't say like a private eye. I mean, I guess he technically is, but like in a way that he's just like getting people who are like cheating on their wives to gather evidence against them. Basically he is a private eye, but he's like, he's get like the, the way they look down at him. Like when the police are investigating, like you can tell that like he's vilified amongst his colleagues for being like this very like, kind of low rent CD. He's just yeah. like almost like a scam artist kind of private eye. He's not, he's not like, he's not like a crack private eye. He's a very just lowly kind of guy. You know what I mean? And, he, and he's just sending. <laughs> Basically to entrap, out there. entrap these, these guys. Yeah. And these, you know, some of these can be very dangerous men, especially as we find out later. Yeah. So as he's leaving with Felda, he's immediately detained for questioning and they're asking, they're trying to figure out, what's going on. They asked Mike about his business. They're looking into Christina's death. And it's clear that because if the feds are looking into this, it's something big going on. Right. And he thinks that, you know, this, this could work out for him as well. Mm-hmm. So he, he takes a cab over to his mechanic, Nick, who's played by Nick Dennis, who is quite a maybe character. the star of this movie. I, I love yeah. every scene that he's in. Ba-ba-boom. Just a, ba-ba-boom. Just a, a hilarious character. Just having a great time. Yep. Shout out to him. I'd like to see him in more stuff. Yeah, I gotta figure he, out his, his name. I forget what other movies he's been in. Well, look up Nick Dennis. I am. But in the meantime, he's saying, hey, you know, the, this car is totaled, and also some people are looking for you, and those people will turn out to be waiting outside of Mike's apartment when he gets home. One thing we'll talk about once Dan finds this information is going to be the answering machine. Yes. Uh, so one one notable film that he's in uh, is actually one that you talked about recently that you watched is Spartacus. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I feel and, like I remember him in there now that you mentioned that. Yeah. I mean, it looks like he was in a bunch of other well-knowns like A Streetcar Named Desire and uh, wow. East of Eden. And actually one that I actually just picked up the other day, another film noir by Robert Aldrich called The Big Knife with Jack Palance, uh, Ida Lupino, Rod Steiger and Shelley Winters is in that as well. Ooh, that sounds like a good one. Yeah, it's an Arrow Blu-ray. I saw it and I was like, you know what? Like, I, I found it used and I was like, oh, I'm going to give this one a try maybe. Maybe. I like, I like his direction in this film too. So I was like, I'm curious. I haven't seen anything else by him. So I'm curious to see like what that dynamic looks like. I, I mean, I haven't seen more film noir by him, but I've seen like he, he did The Dirty Dozen and The Longest Yard. I've, yes. I've seen those ones. Yes. Yes, yeah, so uh, I'm curious to see what this is like. But what do you think of that answering machine, that real-to-real answering machine from the far-off future, even beyond now, the 2021? Future. It's cool. I like it. That I like. strikes the... me every time. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's quite like... Well, it's like it's... built into the wall. Yes. It's quite a, it's quite a, a discussion piece, I, think, I would assume, as well. Like, if Absolutely. they had guests over, they're like, what is that thing on the wall? No, you go right to that. You're trying... You, you'd be like, you'd come home with guests and be like, oh, excuse me, let me listen to my messages, even though you already listened to them. Right. Like, yeah, you would set that up. Reel. And it has that pleasant, like, voice telling you to leave a message, and then there's like a ding. Yes. Five, 
4124. Mr. Hammer, whom you are calling, is not available at present. If you wish to leave a record of your call, please state your message at the sound of the tone. That's very cool. It's great. That thing strikes me that out of the two uh, objects of in this movie, it's one of the two that stick out to me. Yes. And we all know the second one, but yes. we'll wait our turn to get there. So yeah, they, they're waiting to ambush him, but nobody's there. This is where we get the phone ringing in the answering machine, and it's Velda on the line saying she's on her way over. And then uh, we got Velda coming over and followed by Pat shortly. Pat's there on official business. He lets himself in. He kind of lets a little of the steam out that's going between uh, Mike Hammer and Velda. Yes. Says, hey, why don't you <laughs> wipe that sweat off your brow? I got <laughs> I got to go talk to Mike Hammer. And uh, he doesn't have anything good to say. He actually revokes his private investigator license and his gun permit. Yes. So, you know, hey, there's the scriptwriter saying, here's a reason why we don't have Mike Hammer with that gun that he so famously uses all the time. I didn't know if they had the actual authority to do that that quickly, but apparently so. <laughs> oh, it was like, yeah, right there. And yeah. like, thankfully he had all that stuff on him. I mean, I guess you yeah. carry your permit around with you, but. Sure. Never know if he'd get stopped or get it revoked. And then Mike Hammer, he asked Pat about a science reporter named Wright Diker. After that, Mike and Velda go back to talk about their investigations. And he's telling her to continue on this one case. Mm-hmm. I think like what they had was unusable and they needed to get it again. Yeah. So another date must be set up. So now we have a different sports car and Mike's on his way to go visit Ray Diker, who's played by Mort Marshall. And he's followed by an attacker along the way. But Mike, of course, he's ready for him and he, he takes the guy down and continues on his way to the apartment. That sequence and is great. It's so good. There's a lot, a, the a lot of cool. And, yeah. No, I mean, uh, Aldridge was really good at like violence and yes, and, and these kind of scenes. So they definitely really... They sing in this thing. So he gets there and the, the guy, he's already terrified. He's already been beaten before, as we see. And he's like, you know, I'm afraid. And he's able to give Christina's last name and her address, the last known address. And he heads there uh, and he sees like an old furniture mover who's able to give him some information. He gets access he heads- to the house. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's able to get the current address of Christina's roommate. Yes. And then you have the apartment manager and he takes Mike to the apartment. Everyone's very willing to just, you know, let this guy in, but something happened, but yeah, he's there and he sees a, a volume of poetry. Yes. And they were talking about poetry earlier in, in, when they were in that brief car ride together. So that, that stood out to him. And then uh, he heads over to see the roommate, Lily Carver. And uh, what'd you think of her? Gabby Rogers. She was interesting. It, it was interesting because, you know, it, as much as, as, as Mike Hammer seems to be like this magnet for women attracted to him, and she was maybe no different, he did not want her advances at all. <laughs> now, also just a garbage actor. Her performance is just like so wooden. and Yeah. Especially towards the end after the twist with her. But Yeah. Yeah, it was okay. I mean, I, I, I was kind of... It like, didn't ruin anything, yeah. but it's just like she just... There's nothing to her. <laughs> yeah. I believe this was her first role as well, which, you know, hey, could make makes sense. sense. Yeah. But yeah, no, speaking of him being very good with women on the booklet on the other side of this Criterion one, there's a, a great photograph with him just surrounded by all the women of the picture. And yeah, it's a very cool little photograph. We'll post that on the social media. For sure. I mean, we should maybe take two seconds to at least talk about how amazing the Criterion artwork is. I, I love it. 
I like it. I, I don't know. I'm not too into like the pulp vibe of it so much, but really, I I like that. I I, but I, I like love, the colors. I like. Well, I, I like the the scheme of it. Like, yeah, I like the colors. The fonts yeah. are fine. I just wish it didn't go in that direction. But they all the photographs they choose are great. It's a staple booklet, which I'm always happy to see. Yes. No, I mean, and and the features are great. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a minor me personally. I'm not super into it, but I don't. It, it's not bothersome, especially like most current Criterion. So mm-hmm. don't don't listen to me poo pooing anything. Just follow your heart. Any, anyway, it's it's still worth it no matter what. Yes, looks great. great. The, the print great looks great. Print, yeah, yep. and just a lot of a lot of good features on here. I liked all of them. Mm-hmm. I devoured them. Yes. So watch out for that in the November Criterion sale if you're looking for half off. Or, Highly recommend. You know, do what you got to do. Welcome to September. You got to wait two months. <laughs> Add to the list. So Lily Carver, she greets him with a gun and they end up talking and she tells Mike a little more about Christina and the night that she's taken away. The bird and the cage, what happened to it? It was a nice bird you stayed out of my hand. You let it die. Why'd you let it die? It reminded me of her every time it sang. She was a good kid. She was lots of fun. We worked together. A couple of jobs. So she got sick. That's when I noticed that she started to change. You get on the... Married around, you think you can get off any old time. But then it starts going too fast. She was scared. She was more and more scared. She was afraid to go out. She'd go to the movies once in a while, or out for groceries, but never very far. And the police came around. They asked questions, lots of questions. And they took her away. After a while, I had a feeling someone was watching the place. And those men came. What did they want? I didn't stick around to find out. Why was Christina so afraid? It's all right, you can trust me. I don't know. You want to get even for what happened to Christina, don't you? See what I can do. Back to his apartment, a phone call comes in. Of course, he screens it because he's going to let all calls go through just to hear his crazy expensive answering machine you know yes. you got to get your money's worth on that thing i will say he's got pretty a pretty nice apartment so i guess he's, his business is good <laughs> it's a pretty sizable apartment beautiful apartment beautiful los angeles all throughout um and yeah. one of the great features on here they go through all the locations and yes you know they tell you how much they don't exist anymore they basically los angeles destroyed all this stuff of course but yeah. those trolleys those sideways trolleys diagonal i guess yes Sci- uh, those are still there mm-hmm. of course you have to keep those but yeah. they, they choose some really amazing set pieces here i mean there's some big stairs long staircase we'll get into yes a lot of cool stuff yeah in his cool ass apartment you hear a man's voice and he's letting out, let him know about the event so far and mike picks up the phone to talk to him and uh, he's told why don't you just drop this thing and if you do so we'll make sure you're taken care of and the next morning, there's a brand new Corvette parked in front of his building. Yes. 
And Nick sees it, and he's like, ooh, I like this. I'm going to go take it out for a spin. Mike Hammer won't mind, but thankfully Mike Hammer gets to him in time, and he says, hey, don't touch this thing. I got to check it out. Of course, it has some dynamite wired into it. So in the engine, yeah. Uh-oh. So he's able to take that out, and they slowly go over back to Nick's shop, and they find another bomb planted in there. Yes. And he says, hey, you can have this car. Also, just find out who planted these bombs. See what you can find out because also beyond being a mechanic, he he hears things, I guess. Yes. He's tied into the the no. I mean, when you're a mechanic that good, I'm sure you get all sorts of clientele. Yes. Asking around, though, however, is going to have consequences for poor Nick. Yes. Don't get too attached. But Mike stops by Velda's apartment. Of course, she's sweaty. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's, I, mean, I believe she's just like working out or maybe took a shower well at this point it was the one where she's like dancing and there's like the pole and stuff like that she's exercising but she has that pole there that when mike comes in she starts swinging around on. yeah you know it was essentially what would be known as a stripper pole today yes it almost seemed it almost seemed like you know in like ballet class vibe like it, it just seems like with the mirrors and the pole it seemed like a little very like that so. but there's very much like a sensual kind of aspect to it with oh, yeah. she was kind of talking to him and kind of revolving around the the pole there was was quite interesting it, it very much was <laughs> every scene is so interesting and unique and like nothing you've ever seen before yes especially with this genre it's so ahead of, it feels so ahead of its time a lot of it it really does like we said before it, it almost exists in its own weird time and space you know the closest thing i can compare to is like almost like the episode of a twilight zone where it just feels like its own own thing you know where you're like i get that this is planet earth and i'm watching a story that i can i understand but like where did they film this like the moon the only thing i can compare it to is uh one of my favorite horror movies of all time carnival of souls Uh, yeah the 60s one it it has a very that has a very similar vibe where it's just it it, it's in one hand it feels very grounded in, in earth and and the time it's in but it also has this weird otherworldly vibe where you feel like you're not something's not right it's very weird and yeah. i wish that could be captured again i don't know if it's just looking back on things with so much time past it right or... different lens yeah i guess we have it's to talk tough. to the kids you know ask them what you know maybe from like 80s and 90s feels otherworldly to them yeah and we both know the answer is the super mario brothers movie. super mario brothers <laughs> movie yes definitely i would say that feels otherworldly it does yeah I mean, they go to another world. Sure. We're taking it. <laughs> I guess it's tough when it's like going to another world. Of course, that's what you're going for. Yes. Because one thing I was thinking of is like that movie Dark City from the 90s or early 2000s. I remember. I never saw it. Yeah. I remember. I definitely remember it, though. It's a good time. Yeah. That's all I got. So at the apartment, we're swinging around on the pole. And the divorce business is starting to look a little too small time. And he says, this thing feels like something bigger. The girl that he picked up was mixed into something big. And Velda tells Mike that Diker called and left two names and contacts. One was Leopold Kowalski slash Harvey Wallace and Carmen Trivago. And that Kowalski was a pro fighter. And there was also oh, Nicholas Raimondo and she couldn't find anything on him. Yes. But she emphasizes was on them because they both knew Christina and they're both dead. So yeah, everybody that had something to do with her is turning up dead. So yes, this absolutely is something pretty big. Very, very suspect. <laughs> something, something sinister is going on. 
Absolutely. So we got to see Harvey Wallace, who's played by Struther Martin. Struther is such a great name. Yes. He's at home with his family and they're eating dinner, but Mike makes it in there. And Wallace admits that Kowalski was actually pushed in front of the truck and was killed. Mm -hmm. And then also there was the gym where Kowalski trained to go to. And we see Eddie Yeager there. And Eddie Yeager asked about Kowalski or uh, Mike Hammer asked, sorry, asked about Kowalski and Eddie gets scared. And yes. Says he doesn't know anything. <laughs> doesn't know anything, but Basically that paid, seem paid to, be to not know anything. <laughs> uh, but then we find out that Charlie Max and Sugar Smallhouse, another great name. Bo- uh, both say- of those henchmen are just like straight <laughs> out of like a comic book, and it's amazing. It's so good. Yeah, they say if you know, hey, you uh, say anything about Kowalski, you're going to be killed. So that's that threat seems to be working. But Mike calls Pat at the police station and says, "Hey, who, who do Max and Smallhouse work for?" And then we find out about Carl Avello, played mm-hmm. by Paul Stewart. Off to the Avello home now, where Max and Smallhouse are there playing cards. Avello's chilling by the pool. Maybe it was a modern eye, but that pool seemed a little dinky by today's standards, you know? Yeah, but I, I love the set design. I love, as we'll get to in a, in a moment, the, just the, the placement of the actors and the characters in, in this. It felt like, it kind of reminded me of that, uh, the French film uh, last year at Marion Bad. Like where the, they're all kind of very separate and it's, it seems like it's obviously it's intentional, but it has this menacing vibe to it throughout it. The oh, way that they're spaced so. in this, in this, in this area. Boy, when Mike Hammer starts coming in, like uh, this Friday, who's played by Marion Carr comes in and she starts just like, kissing him. And <laughs> yeah. She's all over him. Hello. Advocate General, <laughs> this is a coincidence. How do you do, ma'am? How do I do? Don't be afraid, I won't bite. You don't taste like anybody I know. But it's all right, the fact it's wonderful. Go on, crazy. Second? Okay. Sure we haven't met before? Never. He's able to just be like, hey, why don't you head me in for a swim, you know? Yeah. And he heads in and immediately Yavello recognizes him. And as he's going in to get, change into some swim trunks, the boys follow him in, but Mike Hammer's ready for him. Yes, he's and, ready. Uh, he takes these guys down. He punches sugar and <laughs> Charlie runs off. And runs to the boss. So he's like, all right, Avello. Uh, uh, Avello finds him worthy of speaking to now all of a sudden. So they head into the house and they talk. And Avello says, yeah, it was me who put the explosives in your new car. And he, he says, we keep underestimating you. Mm-hmm. And they're basically saying like, you know, you either need to back off or you're going to die at this point. The stakes are now higher than ever. Mm-hmm. So he heads off to see Carmen Trivago and he's scared too. That seems to be the case with everybody he's meeting into. He says he doesn't know anything, but he does say that whatever is going on, it is, it's something small and that could be easily hidden. So that's something we're going to need to figure out. Yes. And uh, he returns to see Lily Carver and she's actually hiding out in the stairs. And she's been saying every time uh, that people are looking for her. Right. Cause he like, he's hiding her out at this point. Right. Sort of. I mean, at yeah. that point, yeah. Because eventually, well, yeah. He, oh wait, no. This is where he takes her back to the apartment yes. after this. So okay. 
they do get to that. So she's at the hotel where she's staying at or that new apartment yeah. that she's staying at. And then he, he like basically tries to like extricate her from the building without being seen to get in a car to take her to his place eventually and to get him hopefully under, under some type of protection. That happens. And then also we check back in with Nick who see if he was able to turn anything up from his sources. And he lets Mike know that, hey, there's some information on the car bomb and that we just got to, I got to secure Lily Carver at my place. So Nick, I'll be right back and we'll handle this. And Nick goes under the car to work. He's thinking about his, his new Corvette that he's going to get. And uh, we don't see this man, but you see some menacing feet come in. And, a lot know, of menacing feet in this movie. A lot, yes, I would say that's a theme throughout. Yeah, and he goes to the car jack and he just crushes the car on top of poor Nick. Yeah. So brutal. By the time Mike gets back, he sees the other mechanic named Sammy. He's like holding Nick's dead hand and he's crying. And then the cops come and Mike heads off over to Velda's apartment. They kiss, of course, as they always do. And then she's, of course, sweaty. (laughs) Yes. uh, So she's just trying to figure out what kind of trouble we're in. And she also gives up another lead. And that name is Dr. Soberin. This name might be important, as we find out. It could be. The next day, Mike heads to a nightclub. And he he gets a little Mike hammered, doesn't he? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's good. I like that. Thank you very much. Uh, bartender wakes him up because he passed out and he's like, hey, man, they got Velda. So he drives back to the gas station from the beginning where the attendant was. And he was like, do you remember who that letter was addressed to? And he was like, some guy named Mike. Hey, we know a guy named Mike, don't yes. we? It calls him a joker named Mike, actually. I yes. should give him the proper credit of his insulting quote yes. there. So he runs back to the office, finds the letter, and all it says is, remember me. Remember that? Huh? Yes, I do. Keep, rem- keep remembering, folks. But as we see, Charlie Mack, Sugar Small House, they're there and they got great reveal, too. I love beautiful that. Beautiful reveal. One of the all time greatest, I would say. Walking in and he grabs, he, he turns the, the, the lamp up, up above so it's dark so you can't see anything. But he, and he's looking at the desk and doesn't realize that both of them are sitting right behind him. Yep. Like, and both looking at him. And you're like, and like you, as the audience, see it. But he doesn't see it. So yep. you're like waiting, he's for, waiting like, for it. Yep. Oh, oh, man. Like, so good. And Sugar's still pissed about the beach house from before. So he takes out one of those blackjacks. Oh, yes. Yeah. Takes him out, knocks him out, and they take him back to the beach house. The very, very spooky, otherworldly beach house. Yes. Mike is able to make a run for it, though, but it doesn't work out. And he gets beaten up by Sugar and Charlie. And he wakes up tied to a bed this time. Mm-hmm. and we, there's a mysterious man who we still haven't seen and he's saying you're gonna die but you can save velda we're gonna give him the old sodium pentothal add yep. that to your letterbox list of true serums huh yeah <laughs> yeah i i would say it's a little ridiculous but we're getting towards the end of the movie so you know what i say why we're, not bring it on <laughs> we're having a, we're having a good time this isn't earth after all so bring all yeah. the sodium pentothals you want so he gets the shot, and he's, he's mumbling a bunch of stuff. Avello comes in to question him, but nothing's happening. And Mike's actually able to get one of his hands free from the ropes. And then he like grabs it like he's still on it. And he gets Carl to come in and come up to him. And then he knocks him out. And then he pretends to be Avello and gets Sugar in to take down Mike Hammer, a.k.a. himself. Mm-hmm. It's a dark room. And uh, Sugar comes in and he actually stabs at his boss thinking that it's Hammer on this bed. And then Mike kills Sugar and gets his way out of this crazy beach house. I hope we don't see this place again, Dan. Yeah, I hope so too. So Mike heads home 
And Lily is there and she's dressed. Mike picks up the book of poetry. And this is where we see there's a sonnet called Remember Me. And he's like, hey, wait a second. I remember that. He remembers (laughs) it, yeah. Yeah. So Mike and Lily, they head to the coroner's office because he now has a suspicion that maybe something was inside of Christina. And so he talks to this uh, autopsy surgeon, Doc Kennedy. Which I don't know if you remember, he was the bartender in Crisscross. Oh, okay. You look very familiar. Yes. Great character actor. Yes. Yeah. Great job in this. And uh, yeah, he's just like a shitty, corrupt guy. And he's like, yeah, "Yeah, you pay me money and I'll uh, maybe I'll give you the key I found in her stomach. Yeah. And Mike pays him. But of course, the doctor, he's like, no, that's not going to work for me. But he's Mike, of course, gives him the old Mike hammer on the hand and smashes it into the desk drawer and gets the key. And we see that it has HAC stamped on it. Yes. So a good private detective is going to follow that lead, aren't they? Yeah. And what could that mean? Turns out it means the Hollywood Athletic Club. Yes. Go figure, huh? Yeah. And we're able to get in. Mike has to talk to an attendant and get a little rough with them, but he's able to make his way inside and over to the locker. And you open the locker. And this is where you see this leather box. And it's, it's just covered up. Mike opens it. Oh, it's hot to the touch. Burns him a little bit, but he continues and opens it very slightly. And then you get the this insane both sound and, and fury of light. light. Yeah. And uh, it's awesome. It's so cool. I mean, this, this, this that has been so referenced throughout. I, mean, I would say mine and Dan's mutual favorite would be Repo Man, yes. without a doubt. Absolutely. Um, and also the movie you've never seen. It comes up in Pulp Fiction, but. I've, no, I've seen Pulp Fiction. Oh, you have seen Pulp Fiction. I have okay. seen Pulp Fiction, yes. All right. Well, it's in that. Yes. Where'd you tap out with Tarantino? Is that the only one you've seen? No, I've seen, I've seen a few. I, that was the one that I had resisted for a long time. Uh, that was actually the last one I, I watched. Yeah, I've seen a handful. Yeah. Not said. Not said. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that's a, the official stance of the podcast. Yeah, not, not for me. Uh, give, me, give me a peck and paw any day over, over in Tarantino. Exactly. Like anything, just find the source and you're going to yeah. be much Yeah, peck and paw, I think, is infinitely better and did it way before him. I'd watch Lady watch- Snowblood, don't watch Kill Bill, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would say that definitely. Any day of the week, yeah. Yes, 100%. <laughs> Enter the Dragon, all these things, you know. Yes. You'll be much happier. But anyways, man, that box is so cool. It's one of my favorite things in this movie. And that's just what takes it to the next level. Yes. So when we were saying earlier about how this movie is rooted in the 50s, it's definitely like the nuclear panic. Atomic are we age, in the, yeah. Are we in the Cold War at this point or is that in the 60s? Um, no, it's, it's still going on. It's still happening. It's starting to get I mean, a little it, chilly. It, it's starting to get a little chilly at this point. I mean, really, really, I think what really does it is probably Sputnik. I think things that kind of ramp you up is Sputnik was 57. So this was two years before that. Okay. Um, so I think things were starting to get a little bit. Eh. It definitely has that classic. You want to talk you know, that comic book feel of just like. Yeah. Nobody knows what this stuff is. So it's just could be anything, you know, it's like right. endless possibilities, which is fun. But as we now know, in retrospect, not necessarily possible, you know. Right. But I mean, that's right. that's the terrifying device of it is it's that you don't really we don't really get to know what it is. But it's still the, the mystery of it is what's terrifying. One of my favorite MacGuffins, I would say. Yes. And the best noir MacGuffin. Yes. Watch out, Falcon. The, the what's it? Yeah. The good exactly. old what's it? The old what's it box, you know? Yeah. So we wrap this thing back up. Clearly it's dangerous. He tells the attendant not to touch it and he locks back up the locker and he heads back to the car and Lily Carver is gone. Mm. Hopefully that won't turn into anything. Yeah. 
So back at Mike Hammer's apartment, Pat and three policemen are there. They've been waiting for him, and they already know about the key. And they got, they heard about it from that crooked autopsy doctor. He's got loose lips. Yeah. And Mike says, Pat, you know, hey, you know about all these deaths. You have not been able to protect the people who were killed. You know about Carver. And then he's told that Carver was actually killed over a week ago. He's trying to figure out who the woman was. And then Pat notices the radiation burn on Mike's wrist. Mm-hmm. Clearly, he knows the, the score. Mike gives over the key to Pat and the police head off. Mike goes ahead and calls the HAC, but there's no answer. The locker's been broken open into. The attendant is dead and there's yes. no box. So that's not good. Gone. So that, that evening, Mike, he makes a call to Ray Diker and gets another name. William Mist, who owns Mist Gallery of Modern Art. Yes. And Mike breaks into there, but Mist, he's taken a handful of sleeping pills. He has He's unable to tell Mike anything. He's in a deep you know? sleep. <laughs> yep, slapping around, but it's no good. Then he notices on the pills that they were prescribed by Dr. G.E. Soberin, and he's able to remember that name before from Velda. Tracks and him down. Yeah. He's able to get his location through the answering service. He does some nice private eye trickery. That's great to see. Mm-hmm. It's great to see private eyes be private eyes in these things. I feel like they say yes. they are, and then they're just going on some adventure, and you're you're hoping for the best. You want to see a little detective work in these things. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, to my point earlier, it's like you know, it it seems like everyone kind of considered him like not very smart, very just like the lowest form of of detecting of of just basically being like a, almost like a scam artist. Uh, saying that he's like a quote-unquote private investigator. But throughout this, I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's a little bit behind, obviously, but he's still right on top of it. I mean, he's still... Absolutely. You know, and, and, he's, and he's chasing all these dead ends and chasing all these loose ends and, and you know, trying to pick up all the pieces. You, you can't judge a book by its cover. Maybe you can with these My Camera novels. I don't know. But just because he's doing some sleazy gigs doesn't mean he's not a capable right. detective. Exactly. So... We head back. He has a hunch. He heads to the beach house and he recognizes it from earlier. Dr. Sobrin's there and he's packing to leave. And he's talking to Lily Carver, who we find out her real name is Gabrielle. And she was actually employed by Sobrin to get the key from Christina. So she was like faking being her roommate and also keep an eye on my camera. That Lily Carver, huh? she's no good. And I feel like after she makes the turn, yeah, her acting just goes. I mean, it was like about one note the whole time. But yeah, her as like evil is it's funny to watch her try to play that. But it's, it's effective. It doesn't ruin the movie, but I can't help but notice it's a bit of the wooden variety. Yeah, I, I think she plays a little bit, she tries to play a little bit more naive towards the end because she, she seems like more just like she's just kind of along for the ride and doing whatever, you know, the doctor is telling her to do basically. So she's like, oh, what's in the box? Like, and you like go through the whole like Pandora's box thing. And there's a lot of these weird. Oh, he even makes things. a reference to that as well. Yes. What's in the box? Curiosity killed a cat, and it certainly would have you if you'd followed your impulse to open it. You did very well to call me when you did. Yes, I know. But what's in it? You have been misnamed, Gabrielle. You should have been called Pandora. She had a curiosity about a box and opened it and let loose all the evil in the world. Never mind about the evil. What's in it? She's very curious about the box, and then she also wants her share to be, which is half, and she wants it before Soberlin, Soberin leaves on whatever trip he's taking that he's packing up for. Except there's and one he, problem with that. Yeah. <laughs> it can't he's really not, be divided in half. <laughs> yeah, it, absolutely. What are you going to do? He, and he pretty much gets that. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm going to leave. Good luck with everything. And he actually kills her, him. And he just says, don't open the box as he's dying. 
You'd think you'd listen to that if those are your dying words. Not like, hey, you fucking shot me. Ow. Yeah. I don't like you anymore. It's like, hey, don't open the box. I'd be like, if I'm dying, I better open that box. You deserve yeah. a, a good box opening after that. Well, I mean, but I think that's that's exactly it. I think it's pretty telling about how serious and dire opening Very that box so. is, you know, like because you're 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 really opening up a true can of worms. I think with that. And uh, I forgot to mention this, but Velda was taken also. Yes, and she's there. She's there. In the she's house. at this house. Yes, and Mike has now entered, and uh, he gets shot, and he's trying to find out where Velda is. As that's happening, Gabrielle opens the box and just immediately bursts into flames, which is so cool. And, then, and that was reused in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You sure? <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, it, it's true. I mean, the ending, yeah, yeah. The, the ending with the opening of the Ark, I mean, it's the right. same. That's that's totally the influence for that. No, it's, it's crazy how everywhere this is. I mean, this is also even shows up in one of my favorite movies, Southland Tales, as we often mm-hmm. mentioned on this. Thing. Yeah. So very cool reference. Makes that movie even cooler. Yes. But so, yeah, he, you, you can see the influence and you see how appreciated this movie is. I think that's that's the bottom line. It's like, yeah, amongst, it, especially filmmakers, like love it, this movie. I think that's what helped because it seemed like at the time it didn't do so well. And we'll get into some of the controversy that was around it at the time. But right. it uh, it's definitely something that as time went on, people really came to appreciate and, and, and love this movie and, and yes. rightfully so. So yeah, she bursts into flames. It is great. We find Velda. She's in this locked bedroom, and he's able to free her. Now we're this is this is where we have to stop, screech the brakes, and say there are two versions of this movie. Mm-hmm. So I guess we'll continue the version where we've all watched, and that is widely available at this point. Mm-hmm. They they are able to flee the house. They're running on the beach. They're like tripping, and you know everything's like strobing up effects. And there's this crazy, amazing sound effects happening as like it's like a possessed house almost you know and uh they're making it to the beach they're in the water and this house just explodes the house just disintegrates and they're watching it from the beach but for some reason there's not even like an explicit reason why this happened but that ending scene those on the beach making it out of the house scenes like were gone and missing and so the movie just ended with the house exploding yes which is crazy. Yeah, I think I would still love that. I'd probably maybe love this movie more because you'd be like, this is the craziest ending of all time. It'd be so nihilistic. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and that's a, a special feature on here. They do show it ending like that. And it, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, I, that must have been so wild. But yes, eventually they're able to restore these minutes in here and still a very, very perfect film. Yes. But the Kafafer Commission disagreed, Dan. As a federal unit dedicated to investigating corrupting influences in the 1950s. Yes. And uh, they saw this one as 1955's number one menace to American youth. <laughs> and uh, I guess I could see that. I mean, yeah, I mean, at the time, I mean, this was pretty. It's like, not a menace, but I could certainly be like, yo, this is a crazy ass movie. Yeah. I mean, th- I could definitely see this being like one that people would be like, what the hell? Like, there's yeah. a lot of just like pretty rough and seedy and, and ridiculous things in this movie. And Robert Aldridge, he, while this was happening, he took up the rights of uh, free speech and for yes. independent filmmakers and started a writing campaign and seemed to be successful. He was able to defend himself. The movie was filmed in less than three weeks. Wow. That's crazy, but, yes. you know, it, it seemed to be very efficient, very confident script. Fun fact about the cars that he drives, we have a 1951 Jaguar XK120 Roadster, mm-hmm. 
1950 MGTD and a 1954 Chevrolet Corvette C1. Mm-hmm. The Jaguar, if in excellent condition as of last year, would have been worth over $100,000. Isn't that wild? That seems to be the price for about all of them. The I MG, think they smashed that and blew up. <laughs> I know, like it was nothing. But hey, back then, you know, you got yeah. a million of those. There was a memo from United Artists that Mickey Spillane's name must be above the title and in the same type style that appeared on the book jacket. Mm. I thought that was interesting. We'll get into Robert Altridge. So, yeah, I mean, he definitely he, he'll be back, but also he, he had some big ones in, in his day. I mean, I would say Dirty Dozen is probably the biggest of uh, his films. And actually, he sold his profit participation to MGM for over a million dollars and used that money to actually achieve a longtime dream of his, which was he wanted to run his own studio. He was sick of working for people and he, he wanted to, you know, he felt that they'd never been done right. Mm-hmm. Actually, he said, quote, my dream has always been to own my own studio. With the possible exception of the old Enterprise studio back in 45, I've never seen a studio run the way it should. That's because everybody at Enterprise felt they could make a contribution. And that's the feeling I hope we can have here. Hmm. So that was opened in August of 1968. But eventually, after making a deal with ABC Pictures, they had a falling out and he ended up selling his studio. But after collaborating with Burt Reynolds and The Largest Yard, they made a film in 1975 called Hustle. And they uh, started a production company called Robert. <laughs> <laughs> That's catchy. I thought that was a good time. Mickey Spillane. He's a, a, he's a fun guy. You should watch his special feature on here. It's a nice little like half hour documentary on him. It's definitely a good time. You know, he came up writing pulps. He actually came up writing comics as well. I mean, he wrote in the 40s for captain marvel also known as shazam today superman batman and captain america mm-hmm. and he actually was one of the few authors at that time that was able to have his name put on the comic strips that was so it's tough to get credit but his name actually meant something that he was able to get that to happen yeah and in 1954 he portrayed himself as a detective in the film ring of fear and that was kind of the first time he appeared on screen before he was in the girl hunters from 1963 when he mm-hmm. played my camera this time and there's some clips of that in the special features. It looks interesting. Yeah. I'd say the, the funnest fact of all. Oh, also there was like a Mike Hammer comic that he wrote, I believe in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. So that's worth seeking out as well. And uh, yeah, in the 80s, he was in Miller Lite beer commercials. Really? Yes, like many. He was like the regular guy. I was watching the that documentary and like the like a Miller Lite beer girl or whatever showed up and i'm like why is she in this thing That's and weird. it turns out he, she absolutely should be in this thing he made a million of these commercials so we'll post some of those on the social media <laughs> they're they're a good time what was uh, <laughs> how, how how are we pronouncing the uh screenwriter's name Bez, bezaridis I, I think it's bezaridis i think bezaridis yeah He's an interesting guy he in 1938 wrote a novel called the lawn hall which was about the trucking business and in 1940, Warner Brothers offered him $2,000 for the movie right to the story. And eventually that movie became They Drive by Night, which has Humphrey Bogart and Ida Lupino, George Raft. That was a big hit for him. And he was able to get a seven-year contract from Warner Brothers as a result of it. At the time, he was working as a communications engineer for the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. And yeah, he was able to instead become a, a screenwriter. His first screenplay was 1942's Juke Girl, which had everybody's favorite whale, Ronald Reagan. Oh, I, yeah, I forgot that he, he wrote Desert Fury and Thieves Highway, both two film noirs. 
Yes, he will absolutely be back. Yes. As for this movie, though, when asked about a script and the decision to make the, quote, great what's it, this uh, A-bomb and everything, and, and what does it all mean? He said, quote, people ask me about the hidden meanings in the script, about the A-bomb, about McCarthyism, what does the poetry mean, and so on. And I can only say that I didn't think about it when I wrote it. I was having fun with it. I wanted to make every scene, every character interesting. A girl comes up to Ralph Meeker, I make her a nympho. She grabs him and kisses him for the first time she sees him. She says, you don't taste like anybody I know. I'm a big car nut. So I put all the stuff in with the cars and the mechanic. I was an engineer. And so I gave the detective the first phone answering machine in that picture. I was having fun. Yeah, it seems like it. He does not sound like it on his uh, special feature, though. He sounds <laughs> so angry and uh, cranky. But yeah, Ralph Meeker, he's in Paz of Glory with uh, Stanley Kubrick. And mm-hmm, yeah. Also comes back for The Dirty Dozen as well to work with this director. So definitely a good time. He may be back sooner than you think, too. But I think we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, I, I think I know what you're talking about. I think you do by now, yeah. I think that's pretty much it, other than, like, the differences. I mean, of course, there's no no atomicness in it, and also just no gun. I mean, it's just a different kind of violence, I guess, but... Yeah. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of Mike Cammer. Stacy Keach played him, like, a ton on TV throughout the 80s and early 90s. Mm-hmm. So, if, you, if you're a big Stacy Keach fan, like I know Dan As we know, is, you probably are. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's it. It's a good time. Great movie. Yeah. Watch this one. Fun. Always enjoy watching it. I had actually seen it. It was on Noir Alley either the beginning of this year or end of last year. but Very recently, yes. Yeah. I watched it then because I loved it and watched it gladly this time, happily re-watching something that still felt so familiar and fresh because yes. uh, you finish watching and you're ready to do it again. So I was, exactly. I was grateful for like it. Like I said, half, I was halfway through the movie. I was like, wow, I can't wait to rewatch this. I might rewatch it in the next week or two. I mean, you know, there's a lot of features there that'll get you down that rabbit hole. And I usually, you know, I would say this one is, is better than usual features. I, I would say I, yes. I, that's why I keep bringing them up. I, I found them very watchable and had a purpose. And it wasn't just like, Oh, let's just throw these in because we need something. Yes. I love when they have those old documentaries on something too. Like, oh, this was aired in like France in 1988. You know, I do, I do love those as well. Those, those are the highlights for me. Now, next week, we're going to do the complete opposite. No features, DVD presentation. This one's been a long time coming. We'll get into it next week, but we're going to see our our Meeker friend and some other old friends. We got my favorite, Jimmy Stewart. Looking forward Your to seeing old him friend. this. My old friend, but then also Janet Lee, who we do like. We do like. Robert him. Ryan, my true old friend, who I'm yes. very excited to see in this one. We're going back to the Wild West, Dan. We're watching 1953's The Naked Spur. This is the untamed wilderness. Grandeur that seems untouched by man. And into this mountain fastness comes a man in pursuit of danger. This is the savage, flashing story of this man. The man with the naked spur. James Stewart, fearless frontiersman, with an iron will that thirsts for revenge, and with a passionate heart that is hungry for love, the love of another man's woman. I wish there was some way to protect you from Howie. He's gonna start on you pretty soon. Kev? Oh, I've seen him with women. 
He'll look and think, and then he'll reach out and take. And the way things are, who's to stop him? Me. How do you mean? I'm different. I mean you got a man. At least you stick to him. He's not my man. Well, you're with him, ain't you? Not like you mean. All right, forget The raw and savage experience of a wild, primitive beauty at the mercy of desperate men. They gambled their lives for what each man desired most. James Stewart, willing to pay any price to create a future that will hide his past. Janet Lee, willing to defy any man strong enough to win her. Robert Ryan, willing to make any deal to win a woman and escape the law. Ralph Meeker, willing to betray friend or foe for love or money. Millard Mitchell, willing to join any scheme for any payoff. Quit that! Dead or alive, it says. Stop him, Ben. I'll have a chance. Chance at what? To kill us all? All right, if that's what you want, I'll give my chance. Now, cut him loose. Cut him loose! Yes, I haven't seen this one. Both going in blind. I'm looking forward to it. I hope it's noir enough. I, that, that's what, I think that's what, what I'm waiting on. As much as I love Westerns, I hope that it, it holds up its uh, legacy of potentially being noir-ish. So. I'm going to make a prediction. This will not be a, a largely listened to episode, but to those who tune in, thank you. Well, it's nice to have. We like the variety. We like to, to, to mix it up and, and stuff that well, kind of walks lines, you know? I've just been noticing lately, like, if it's a heavy hitter, man, you get some real listens on these things. And if not, if it's a little more obscure, thank you to the loyal Noiros for listening. I'll tell you what, man, it's got a great, great cast. I mean, as you just, as you just rattled off, I mean, that's, that's a pretty solid cast right there. And it's also Technicolor. Yes. So How can you not love Technicolor? A Technicolor Western. We are, it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays into Noir. I... Yes. I don't. Dan brought this one up, so I'm, I'm curious to even know how he had heard of this being a noir. I guess we'll get into it. I think I remember why, but I'll leave it for next time. And so we will see you next time. Uh, and until then, here's the crime. Here's the crime. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.